double duty tonight. Scripture reader, pastor outer. Some stormtroopers for you if you need them. <laughs> are those sergeant stormtroopers? Kenny's? I like those. Those are cool. Those are cool. Good evening, everyone. Okay, if you need a paper, just raise your hand. Rob will be around. He'll get you all set up. We're back again to the first of the month. Comes around once a month. Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? I pre- at least some of you laughed at my joke, you know. They get cheesier and cheesier as I get older. But um, if you haven't been here, what we do on the first night of each month is we try to take a particular passage from the Bible and bring you into the process of figuring out how to make sense of it so that you can develop confidence, skills, abilities uh, to be able to take a Bible passage that you might not understand through process of learning, you might actually begin to develop um, knowing what it means. Um, I believe everybody in this room, old, young, male, female, uh, has the ability to develop skills to understand what the Bible is saying so that you can be people that are able to teach others. I'm pretty excited about our passage tonight. Let me remind you of the really basic principles. These are really basic principles of Bible study. Number one, we're going to pray. We want God not only to open up um, his word to us, but open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, that we could see as David prayed wonderful things from the word of God. Read the text multiple times. We're going to read it a few times tonight to make some sense of it. And then you just begin deconstructing the text. You look for things like verbs and subjects and objects and prepositions like you did in grammar school. Um, We also want to take special note of terms of conclusion, terms of contrast, comparison. Those begin to unlock the meaning of the text. And then we look for repeating words or significant words, words that when you understand what they mean, they unlock uh, the whole passage for us. It's like hammering away until it begins to make sense. And then you discover the main idea, and you'll see some supporting points from the text. So uh, let's, uh, did everybody get a paper? Okay, let's uh, bow our heads, let's pray, and then we'll begin. God, we come to you first and foremost because, because we believe that you made us, and you wrote upon our soul and created us in a way that is made in your image. And Father, we approach you because you, we believe that you are the author behind these words that we're about to read. Father, we believe that inside of these words you have given us instruction that leads to life. You have revealed truth that helps us see reality. And Father, you have guided us to become people who are made whole, made complete, made perfect. And Father, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, humble our spirit, that we might be people who are willing to be led that scripture would have an impression upon us, that we would not impress upon scripture our desires, but we would let your desires be impressed upon our soul. And Father, I thank you for this passage. May it uh, do the work that you've designed it to do. In Jesus, we pray together. Amen. Okay, let's read a few times. Verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2. Before we read, I just want to make one point that uh, comes as you get more familiar with the Bible. Some of you may already know this, but um, we have spent a lot of time in passages written by the Apostle Paul. 
We've done Colossians, and uh, we did, I think we did one in Philippians. We also did one with Peter. John, the Apostle John, who wrote this, is a different stylistic writer than Paul and Peter. Um, John is what is known as a circular writer, meaning he has an argument, and then he circles back to it multiple times. Does that make sense? He, he uses what's called circular logic. Paul uses not circular logic, but linear logic. You know how Paul writes? This is true because of this, and therefore this, and how about this, and I'm thinking about this, and he writes in what's called linear logic. So you break down the sentence. John writes in circular logic. So you're going to see a phrase, this is why I'm telling you this, you're going to see a phrase that shows up twice. And it kind of encapsulates the message, okay? So let's see if you can pick it out. Verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 3 again, by this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's give it one more go around, okay? See if you can pick out the repeating phrase that kind of unlocks the two main thrusts of this text. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay, so remember step one, we always grab the verbs. I want to warn you, there are a lot of verbs. Warning number one. Number two, John is different than Paul. So because John uses a whole bunch of verbs, um, we're going to use the verbs to establish the main point of the text, but then we're going to move at, over into really focusing on the repeating phrases to see what Paul's trying to, or to see what John is trying to say. So let's do the verbs together. Let's see if you can get them. What's the first one? What do you guys see? Come on, come on. No, good. It's oh, maybe. Got to turn it on, Anthony. Hey, there we go. No, what's the next one? Have come, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to include have come to know, because that's actually what the whole word is, but everybody, you got it right, Anna, good. Have come to know, what's the next one? Good, Mike, team, Mike's got that one, it's going to show up a lot, isn't it? Next, boy, you guys are getting better at this, do you guys practice between these, like, monthly, because this, this grammar thing's getting better, good. <laughs> What'd you say? We did go to, oh, the first couple weeks I was worried about this, all right. Whoever says, what's the next one? No, I told you there's a lot, right? I know him, but does not keep, right? 
keep and then does not is how that plays together. Okay? Does not keep his commandments. What's the next one? It's a guy. Yeah, good job. You caught that sneaky one, didn't you? Is a liar and is. The truth is not in him. But whoever. Good. What's the next one? In him truly the love of God is or is perfected. You can include perfected because it's really one word, but for the English it just kind of translates to is and then what is perfected. Okay, next. No. We are. Are. Yep. Whoever says he abides. Everybody get abides? Everybody agree? Abides in him. Ought to walk. What's he walk? Woo! You guys did pretty good. Do you see how many verbs there are? A lot, right? There's a lot of different verbs, a lot of different action taking place because John writes so uniquely. John is very much like a poet. You'll see how this plays out in just a moment. But John writes poetically. He, doesn't, he, he would have made a terrible lawyer, but he would have made a great poet, okay? Paul was our lawyer. All right, so let's do, now you see the, we'll do quickly the subject of each verb. And the reason I'm bringing you to the subject is you're going to see, if you remember what we did last time, I'll make the point in just a moment, it's different, okay? Let's find the subjects. All right, what's the subject of no? We, oh, hold on. We, right? The subject of have come to know. Subject of keep. Subject of says. Whoever, right? Everybody good with that? You guys mumbled on that one. Richie, we good on that? He'll buy it, okay. How about subject of no? I. Subject of does not keep. Good, Christy. It's whoever. That's right. Christy got that. Whoever. How about subject of is? Good, yep, that's right. It's still whoever, isn't it? Subject of the next is. Truth, right? Truth is. What's the second is? That, that's kind of a sub one there that we'll see in a moment. All right, how about the next keep? Whoever. Subject of is perfected. Love or love of God, right? Okay, good. How about the next no? Together. We. Subject of are, we, says, abides, he, we, yep, ought, what's the subject of ought? Yeah, whoever, subject of walk, whoever, good, and the subject of the last walk, he, okay, pause, everybody get all those circles? See, one of the key things in Bible study is when you start, listen, you don't already have the answer, and that's okay. See, a lot of times people get intimidated with Bible study to take some of these steps because they come to this text and they're like, well, what's it mean? I don't Just trust the process. Just trust the process. Now watch. A month ago, we studied Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 18, and does anybody remember what all the subjects were of that text? Does anybody remember this one? What was that entire passage about in Colossians 1? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all. 
he, he, who is the subject of the whole text in Colossians 1? Jesus and God, right? Who's the subject of this entire text? Now look at the subject. Who is the subject? You guys don't seem as confident on this one. Just look at the orange ones. Who's the subject? We, right? Who's we in this text? Who do you think? John is writing to Christians. So who's the subject of this passage? Who's this passage addressing, and who's it about? Us, right? Christians. Do you guys see how important that is when you just take this basic step that you figure out what's going on and who this passage is about? That This passage is actually not just exalting a truth about who God is. This passage is getting into us. This is about us. So we know that we have come to know him if we keep the commandments. He's addressing Christians. This is really important. Okay. The next thing I want to do, usually when we do Paul, then you're going to go to the object and prepositions and you begin to break all this down. What I want to do next is ask, what was the repeating phrase that kind of blocks in the two big segments here? What, what phrase stood out to you as kind of the important key phrase? Matt's got it. Nice and loud. What is it, Matt? By this, we know. Have you seen where it shows up again? After, in the, at the end of verse 5? And by this, we know. Okay? These are the two main anchor statements in this text. Do you see how John's writing in a circular way? By this we know, and he goes on this whole kind of statement. And then by this we know, he's writing about this one subject, Christian certainty, Christian assurance. By this, we're going to figure out what this is in a moment, but by this is how you're going to know He's addressing Christians who need certainty. Everybody with me to this step so far? You see how this works out? Okay. So this text is about Christian assurance. Now let me ask you, do you know any Christians that struggle at times with assurance of their faith? The guy you shave with in the, you know, in the morning or brush your teeth with? Yeah, that person? Listen. The moment you become a Christian, the only angle Satan really has to attack you is to make you doubt whether you are in Christ or not. To make you doubt whether you can be a Christian or not. I'm telling you that he attacks us constantly from every angle. Are you sure you're a Christian? Oh, you're not doing enough. Oh, you failed. Are you sure? He's coming at you. And John is writing to solve this very problem for Christians. By this, you can know with certainty. Christian assurance is the subject. So let's start with the first assurance, okay? So uh, let's start with the first one. This is the first section of assurance. What do we actually know? Um, let's first of all look at this statement. What tense is this written in? By this we know. What tense is that written in? It, it sounds like the past, right? By this we know. Um but, but it's also active right now, isn't it? So by this we know. What that called, what that, what that is called in the Greek is called the perfect tense, meaning something happened in the past, but it continues to be effective today. It's continuing, it, its effect is still alive today. So by this we know 
happened, something happened in the past, but we have certainty right now because of it. So what do we know? What do we actually know? What took place? We what? We have come to know him. In the past, you were saved, and you continue to experience this. By this, we're going to figure out what this is in just a moment. You have come to know that you know him. Now, does John sound pretty confident to you in his writing? Does he want Christians to be confident? By this, you can know that you know him. This is how you know that you know that you know him. Everybody with me? Okay, let's figure out what is the this. What's the test? What's the this? What do you guys think? What's the test, the litmus test that John's putting out for Christians? Not This is not how to become a Christian. This is for Christians. By this, what do you think the this is? Let's see if we can figure it out. Yeah, you guys got it. Keep coming. Mike's got it. Do you see that? By this, we've come to know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. Pretty interesting, right? There's a, there's a little litmus test here for Christians who are shaking sometimes in their certainty. How do we know that we know Jesus? How do we know that we are in him? How do we know we're Christians? By this, you will know that you've come to know him if you keep his commandments. Now, this next phrase is what John, this is that circular logic that John does. What he's doing is he's going to give you an answer to kind of an officer to a critic. Now, do you guys see this sort of this next statement? Whoever. John, John uses this phrase over and over in his language, whoever, whoever. He kind of speaks for other people, you know. He's one of those preachers that says, you, you know, like those people that say. <laughs> he's, he's that kind of preacher, you know. Um, and, and because he's probably heard this. And in fact, John is writing into a situation where a group of people known as Gnostics, no time tonight to talk about that, but known as Gnostics, broke off from the body of Christ. And when they did, when they broke off, they were whispering, those people aren't really Christians. We're the Christians. And it made them anxious. How do we know we're Christians? And John says, listen, whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Pretty clear cut, right? Okay? <clears throat> He's dealing with a clarifying warning. And then his last statement is his circular logic when he comes back and just says the same thing this is why john is kind of a poet i don't know if you know much about hebrew poetry john would have studied hebrew poetry hebrew poetry was never based upon um rhyming words it was based upon cadence like written in three three or three two um and what it was always trying to do was make a statement and then say the statement again in a way that either amplified it or expounded upon it to give you more detail you can go look in the psalms and that's why the Psalms translate so well to English because they're not dependent upon rhyming. They're dependent upon thought. And so he says, the first line, here's how you know that you know him. Keep his commandments. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is perfected. So we got kind of an important question here, don't we? What does it mean to keep his commandments? Does it seem pretty important for Christians to know this? 
This is how Christians know that they know. They keep his commandments. Now, wrestle with that for a minute. This is where you just pause. You let prayer come into your Bible study. You let pausing and reflecting come into your Bible study. You don't rush. You ponder, you think, you pray. You check other verses. And you ask things like this. What does it mean to keep his commandments? What does that mean? Now, here's where the English dictionary is going to not really do much for you. English, how do we define the word keep in English, right? What do you guys think? Terry had it. What'd you say, Terry? To maintain, right? Yeah, yeah. If I'm going to have upkeep on a property, I'm going to maintain it, right? Mike, what are you saying? Hold on to something, Mike. So can you keep this Bible for me, Mike? And then Mike's going to keep it, and he'll bring it back to me next week. Just hold on to that. Yeah. It's kind of a strange word, isn't it? Um, This is where a good Bible dictionary can really help you. You don't need to buy one. There's plenty online. If you need a resource, let me know. I'll get you a couple of links that are very unbiased, just really great resources. Let me, uh, let me show you a few. The word keep. Here's what, the, here's what John was using when he said the word keep. It means to guard, to watch, to keep intact, and to protect. To value something. To treasure something. To say, I know this thing is important, like Mike was saying, to to, to hold on to something. I know this is important, and so I'm going to keep it because it belongs to somebody else. So let's say, for instance, um, Ken has a family Bible that's treasured. It's been in his family for 150 years, and it's really important to him. And he says, hey, Anthony, will you keep this for me? And I get that Bible, and I throw it in the back seat of my van, and there's chicken nuggets on it. Oh, we don't eat chicken nuggets anymore. We're on nutrition. There's, um, <laughs> there's kale, uh, you know, on it, and... Um, you, you know, and, and so, and then I see him in a couple of weeks, he says, hey, Anthony, you got that Bible? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, and I'm like digging around in the back seat, and I find it, and it's all wrinkled. Here, here you go, Ken. Did I keep it? Technically, it maintained in my possession, sort of, right? But do you think I upheld what Ken wanted me to do? But if I would have taken that Bible and said, no problem, Ken, and I take it home, and I put it on my dresser, And when the kids come in the closet, say, hey, leave Ken's Bible alone. That's really important. And then I take it with me every time to service. And then when I see Ken, he says, hey, do you have it? I say, absolutely, man, I've got it. Did I keep it? Yeah, it was important to me because Ken's important to me. And I protected it. Everybody with me? Okay. What's the word commandment mean? This is one of those things that you just learn over time as you spend time in Scripture. Uh, it means, there, there's a little, uh, do you see E-N and then T-O-L-E? Those are two words. E-N means in, concentrating, focus. T-O-L-E is the word where we get teleos to. Now, this is an interesting word. You might automatically think Ten Commandments, right? Or law. But the word for law in Scripture is the word nomos. Nomos. That's what they would use for the word law. But here he uses entola which means in pursuit of the state of completion. Now wrestle with that for a minute. Think about it. Jesus' commandments to us, his guidance, his direction, his instruction, his commandment is in pursuit of helping us become perfect, complete. Remember how Paul talks about scripture? 
that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, equipped for every good works. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you should be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He used this word, teleos, complete. And so, you remember what Jesus said at the end of his life, or at the end of uh, his time on earth when he ascended. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to keep, to protect, to guard, to treasure, to love. All that I have given you as instruction that will lead you to the kind of person you're supposed to be. Again, are, are you soaking the marrow out of the bone now? Okay. And he says, I'm with you always. How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you've come to know him? When you keep his commandments. When he means so much to you that you trust what he said to you will lead you to the best kind of life that you treasure the way he's instructed you. All right, let's do the second half, okay? Let's do the second half. By this we know, now what are we going to figure out? What tense is this in? By this we know. Past tense? Present tense. So this is not a, a thing that happened in the past. Now this is a present tense. By this we know that we are in him. Now we're gaining assurance for how we know that we remain in him. How we know that present, day to day, we're in him. Um, what's the test here? By this we know that we are in him. What's the test? Let's see if we can figure it out. Not quite. Keep going with me. What's the test here, you think? By this, we know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him, what? Ought to walk like him in the same way. Let's quickly define these terms, okay? You probably already know what it means to walk. It just literally means the manner in which you conduct your life. From the inside out, not outside in. From the inside out, the way that you carry yourself. It's the way that you conduct your life in and out. How you live is the way you walk, okay? And this is where we see John in his real poetic sense because he says, whoever walks should walk like Jesus walked in the same way. What does that mean? That means, this, this is an, a, um, an adjective that just means in accordance with the description or modeling after what you've seen. So here's how you know day in and day out that you're in him. You walk like he walked. Now here's where John's poetic, and here's where you get to have a little bit of fun. How did Jesus walk? Does John tell us in this passage, specifically, detail by detail, what he means by how Jesus walked? Does he give us a line item of things in this passage? Come on, does he? He doesn't. So now, guess what you get to do for the next hour in your Bible study? Have a blast thinking about how did Jesus walk? Tell me something. Come on. How did he, we're talking about how he conducted his life. How did he do it? Tell me something. Bill? Ooh, good one. So Bill says he understood the state condition of the people he was with. He was sensitive to people. Great point. Come on, give me another one. How did Jesus walk? Ken, give me some. 
love that. John even says that in chapter 5. He says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not, do you remember, burdensome. Jesus loved, he enjoyed the will of God, didn't he? He said it was his food. Like, like the idea of God's will was so appetizing to him. You, you know, like, um, some of you might even be hungry, maybe you didn't do dinner yet, you know, you, like, you get a little bit hungry, and then you get more hungry, and then you get ravenous, and then you, like, you, you just... He, he's saying, God's will for, is like food to me. Man, that's all, I love that one, Sharon. Uh, go ahead. Yes, that's right. That's right. So he's submissive. Good. Anybody else want to add? Uh, Cody wants to add. Go ahead. Self-sacrificial, right? So, so others, blessing, joy, and good is what actually, like, sustains him, right? That's a great one. Anybody else want to add to that? Yes. Perfectly? Yeah, that's right. He was obedient. Don't, we should not undersell the fact that he actually, day-to-day, obeyed, right, Mike? Humility. The Son of God. Nolan, tell me something. How did Jesus live, buddy? He never sinned. That's right. So God had a will for him, didn't he, Nolan? And he said, I want you to live this way. And Jesus, day in and day out, said, I trust you, God, that you want what's best for my life. That's awesome. Anybody else? <laughs> That's right. You might call that optimism, right? He was a Debbie Downer. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. People's hurts became his. He cried with people, didn't he? That's right. Even when he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he cried. That's right. So much so that he would even say that when I return in judgment, I'm going to ask you, did you feed people? Did you clothe people? You know, did you alleviate pain? That's how he walked. Yeah. Great. You know what you guys just did? You just preached to yourself tonight. I guess I gotta give back a little bit of the salary this week, huh? <laughs> you can have assurance that you are a Christian, that you know Christ if you treasure his direction and teaching. I, I'm so glad you said that, Ken, about food. Just you treasure it, you know? And you model his life, his spirit, his attitude. Let me point out one thing about John. Remember at the beginning when we said, what's the subject of this text? It's us, right? John was writing to current Christians. This passage is not how you become a Christian. That's taught in other places in Scripture, right? How you become through repentance and confession and immersion into Christ. It's not how you become. This is how you live as a Christian. How you have assurance that you know that you are. So the question is this. How many of you in here know a Christian who needs this kind of encouragement? Maybe even this week. Now here's what I know for a fact. You might not actually have a name on your mind of somebody you work with or a neighbor or a friend. You might not actually know somebody who's struggling with this, but here's what I know. God has prepared you tonight to encourage a Christian that might come to you 
if you're prayerfully open and says, I'm just really struggling with my faith, man. I'm ready to give up. I'm not sure. I'm in. I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? God has made you ready to share with a brother or sister who's hurting, who doesn't know, who doesn't have confidence in their faith. And you say, listen, here's how you can know. When you begin to treasure what he's taught you and you begin to look at his life as the thing you want to copy, then you can know that you're in him. It doesn't say you've got to do it perfectly. You've got to strive for that. But when you treasure what he said and you love the way he lived, that's assurance that you're in him. And those that are in him are in the grace of God. Amen to that, church? Okay. If you are a Christian doubting that tonight, why would you leave without the church building you up? If you're not a Christian wanting to have this kind of assurance, let us take a moment to help you become a Christian. We're going to stand and sing song number 755. Go ahead and stand, let's sing, and we're here to help you any way we can. Thank you for your patience tonight.